0: The Sydney Opera House honours our First Nations by fostering a shared sense of belonging for all Australians. And we acknowledge the Gadigal, traditional custodians of Tubigale,
1: the land on which the Opera House stands. And I'm learning about how, like, some fans don't use spoons anymore because one of the band members said that he, like, wasn't into spoons.
0: Hey, I'm Courtney Ammenhauser, and this is up next.
1: Subject, subject.
0: I'm a culture writer, a radio presenter and a huge nerd about all things music, arts and culture. Right now, I'm sitting in a little back room at the Opera House, behind one of the most famous stages in the world. And it feels kind of surreal to be here, so far from where I grew up in Mission Beach in far north Queensland. Back then, I didn't know much about the Opera House. It was just a fancy place that I only saw on TV. As an adult, I moved to Sydney and found myself enthralled by the underground arts and music scene here. I loved watching emerging Australian talent rise up, make a mark and carve out a space for themselves on big stages, changing the culture and stories of Australia as they went. And what excites me most is seeing them make it all the way here, where they reclaim the stage above me, all eyes on them. This podcast is about capturing this moment and seeing all the exciting places it takes us. Up next is your ticket to the most exciting artists and performers coming through these doors. And each episode, we'll discover who's up next, who's defining the future of arts, music and culture in Australia. It's no secret the award-winning musical Fangirls has taken the world by storm since its first season at Queensland Theatre in 2019. Following 14-year-old Edna, the musical dives deep into her love for beautiful, perfect Harry. But there's just one problem. Harry is a star of the world's biggest boy band. I spoke to playwright, screenwriter, songwriter and creator of Fangirls, Eve Blake, ahead of the show's current season at the Sydney Opera House. She's here to tell us about her meteoric rise from unknown artist to award-winning playwright, about the fangirls of fangirls, and why musicals are for everybody. I wanted to start the interview with a pretty big question.
1: Who did you fangirl over as a tween? So what I often say is like, no, I wasn't a fangirl of anyone. And that's why when I found out about fangirls, I had to research them. And that's true to a degree. But honestly, I was obsessed with Missy Higgins and Megan Washington and maybe like a little bit of Regina Spector. So like singer-songwriter girlies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a chaotic story. Please. Okay, I was 13 and I saw Missy Higgins did this gig in Centennial Park, Massive Park in Sydney. And so we were like 100 metres back from the stage. We were so naughty. We tore away from our mums and we raced to the (gasps) front and we were right on the barricade watching. And then at the end, my friend, shout out to Mari, knew that at the end you've got to like yell at the security guards if you want a guitar pick from stage. So Mari was like, give me a guitar pick. So then I panicked. I wanted a relic. And I saw her water bottle on stage. (laughs) So I asked them to give it to me and I brought it home, this holy relic, and I put it like right on the top of (laughs) a bookshelf. And I remember when I... I like finished year twelve and packed up my stuff from my parents' house. I found this like ancient, half, drunk uh, Mount Franklin water bottle, and I was like, "What." <laughs> But it did feel kind of special to touch this thing that she had touched and she just felt like this kind of magical being. So I always say, I'm like, yeah, I wrote this show because I couldn't relate. But then I think about the water bottle, I'm like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I spy some the similarities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to ask, what happened to the water bottle? Um, Yeah, I, I did to throw it out. But mad respect <laughs> to Missy. And then she saw Fangirls last year. <gasps> no. Yes, which was such a full circle moment. It was in Melbourne. She sent me a lovely email and did an Instagram post and I passed away briefly after. Truly. Well, I'm glad that you've resurrected yourself somehow
0: to join us today. Fangirls, you know, Missy Higgins enjoyed it. It's been enjoyed by many people. It's got a season at the Opera House this year and it's had lots of rave reviews. And it's also been Uh, picking up a bunch of awards as well. It's won the Augie Award for Music Theatre, the Matilda Award for Best Musical, the Sydney Theatre Award for Best Mainstage Musical, and also a Green Room Award as well. You've even done a TED Talk about it, but for someone who somehow has not heard of fangirls, maybe they've heard about it in passing but don't know heaps about it, or they might not consider themselves like a musical type of person, could you explain what the show is
1: about and why this musical is for them? So Fangirls follows a 14-year-old girl called Edna and uh, she's in love with a boy called Harry. But the only problem is he is the world's biggest pop star. And what happens in Fangirls is that, ooh, how do I do this spoiler free? Edna gets an opportunity she never thought she would have in her life. And it's going to require her to do some very dangerous and intense life-changing things. Without spoiling what happens, Fangirls is like this musical comedy with blockbuster stakes. So because it's a story about being 14 and first love and, and stopping at nothing to, like, get to your crush, I knew the score needed to sound really adrenal, right? So I decided I wanted the score to sound like a pop concert meets rave, also meets church. So, like, the experience of the show itself is, like, bombastic and huge and, like, f- um, feral and, like, has these subwoofers in the <laughs> theatre that will, like, wobble your seats. But, um, yeah, it's like a Trojan horse, so it appears to be this fun camp night out. But it really is an exploration of, like, the ways that we raise young people and the lies that we tell them about themselves. Mm. And this kind of
0: bombastic experience and this battle cry for young people came to you in a pretty unusual way, um, which I'd love to talk to you about. You mentioned it in your TED Talk that when you were 21, you had a pretty fateful meeting, where you met a very special teenager who told you about her husband. Can you take us back to that story?
1: I was 21 and I met my friend's little cousin and she was 13. And she told me she had met the man she was going to marry. I thought, okay. Huge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely huge. Very organised. Mm-hmm. Must know more. <laughs> so I said to her, okay, tell me everything about him. And she looked me dead in the eyes and she confidently told me that his name was Harry Styles. Yep. Right. So at this point, I laugh. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, mm, sure. And she's like, do not laugh at me. I'm like, OK, cool, cool, cool. And she's like, no, don't laugh at me. I would slit anyone's throat to be with him. So I have like, I am immediately interested.
0: Oh, yeah. That's commitment.
1: A hundred percent. And I'm a writer. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to make a show about this. Mm-hmm. So overnight, I start researching One Direction fans because One Direction, the band was still together at the time that I started writing the show. I'm so fascinated that I've discovered what feels like a sovereign nation of teenage girls on the internet. And then, like, the world shakes because overnight, one of the members of One Direction, Zayn Malik, leaves the band without warning. You remember?
0: Yeah, Everyone remembers where
1: they were. (laughs) So I, of course, I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm following all of these fans on Twitter and I see my timeline erupt with, like, people who are just so grievous about it and then I notice in mainstream news outlets that are covering the story they're using really interesting words they're using words like desperate pathetic over the top crazy unhinged psycho and it's interesting right because I look at all this language and I ask myself a question I would never occurred to me in my life before which was that you know if this was a news story about young men but perceived young men being upset about something that had happened in sport Would these journalists be reaching for the same words? And that is really when I knew that I had to make this show. I wanted to explore the question, like, why is it that when we describe enthusiasm being expressed by, like, perceived young women, we use all of this, like, minimising language and we ridicule them and we socially sanction completely different behaviours for young men and young women. So, yeah, I was like, wait, that's so deep. I have to write about that. (laughs) I'm going to make some art. Yeah, literally. All right,
0: so this is where the idea of of Fangirls came from, the stories that you've just taken us through. You then pitched the idea to the Australian Theatre for Young People, ATYP, and you became the recipient of the Rebel Wilson Theatre Maker Scholarship. But you didn't know how to write music at the time, which is quite wild (laughs) considering it's a musical. But you did round up a, a really killer creative team. Can can you tell us about your team?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of chaotic in retrospect. I was 22, 23, and I had this idea that I wanted to make a musical. But the problem was that I didn't, and I still don't, play a single musical instrument. And I have no idea how to read music. So my first step was I went on YouTube and just watched a lot of YouTube tutorials on how to create music on your laptop. So I use a software called Ableton Live. And then from there, I spent probably six months on my own writing the music. And like I said, I can't play a piano. So I had to kind of use my QWERTY keyboard on my laptop and slowly. (laughs) It's so silly, but like I just had to sit there and like hum out the tune and then press the buttons until I could kind of hear it back. So I realised that that wasn't going to cut the mustard. Like that was not going to get me all the way to a musical. I needed a music producer, right? I needed someone who was going to make it sound like an actual pop concert. And I found this guy, David Miratori but he's like a mad genius. He's amazing. He's won like Triple J remix competitions because he just does this being with sounds where he collages sounds together in these really unexpected ways, but he also knows all the pop tropes. So I got him on board and then I got this amazing vocal arranger. Her name's Alice Chance and she's like quite fancy in the classical world or at least from what I can tell. Like she writes amazing like vocal arrangements and classical arrangements that get played like all the time. She literally makes a living as a composer and she's in her mid-20s. She came on board and I said, how can you take these songs but add like a girl's choir to them, like make us feel like we're in the church of Harry? And then I brought on board Jonathan Ware as my dramaturg, which is a word that everyone always kind of goes, oh, it's a dramaturg, (laughs) (laughs) that sounds fake. But he is like, I guess like the story consultant. So while I was writing... The scenes and the music and the lyrics, that's like a lot to keep sight of. And he would sit with me and read the drafts and help me make smart edits and go, oh, you're repeating yourself there. And look, we worked on this for like three, three and a half years before anyone became interested in it. So I often think of them as like my bandmates, you know what I mean? And we would just spend so much time together refining this. And then things kind of changed. And suddenly all of these theatre companies and like TV and film companies came knocking because – it was, you know, this show about fangirls, and I guess we didn't ever imagine that it was a commercial idea, but suddenly that sort of changed overnight.
0: Yeah, and I want to ask you about that because, you know, you create it and we're skipping over a lot, but basically you write it, it gets heaps of seasons, multiple different theatres, as you say, have have come knocking to get a, a piece of the, the fangirls puzzle. People love the show. What was that shift like from going, as you describe yourself, a bit of an unknown talent to then having award winning in your bio. I guess the thing
1: that I reflect on a lot is for years, like years and years it was me and Dave and Johnny and Alice and we had this magical idea that we knew was special and slowly people started to go oh I think that's special too and and theatre companies became interested but we were just like all in our early 20s and we had so much to prove and so the creation of this show began with like dinner table readings around my dinner table and I would just make pasta for all my friends and I'd say can you just read this out loud, I need to hear it Mm -hmm. Um, or like going to Dave's studio above a tire shop and just working for hours and then getting a $5 Domino's pizza because it's like what we could afford. It's interesting that it went from that to then suddenly all of these companies became interested in it and it had this huge season and it was really surreal like when it first came out in 2019... Paige Rattray, the director, did such an extraordinary job and I was in the original season and I remember walking onto the stage for the first time and seeing the set, which is like these two-story high LED screens, like a Beyonce concert, and just being like, how many people made this? So it's been really surreal and I think like what's been especially wild is that before it came out, my fear honestly is like, I know that the people who mostly go to theatre – are middle-aged rich white people to be frank Mm -hmm. and i wanted to reach teenagers and i was scared they wouldn't come i was scared they wouldn't find it but then you know in our original seasons teenagers started coming and then they started coming back and then they started bringing signs for the fake boy band in our show and then last year on the tour it just like it went to another level and there were people who came 15 times Like, someone got a tattoo of the show, people named their pets after the show, all kinds of things happened. And then there was this meta layer where, like, People who loved the show found each other specifically on Twitter and created this huge group chat called the FGFG, which is like the fangirls fangirls. <laughs> and then when we went like into lockdown in the second half of last year, I'd go onto Twitter and I would see members of the FGFG just like posting pictures of their distance picnics and pictures of their Zoom parties that they were doing and like these ridiculous PowerPoint presentation nights where they'd all jump on a Zoom link and then make like a comedy PowerPoint about fangirls. Like one that I saw was called Why Every Character in Eve Blake's Fangirls is a Lesbian. No, I won't be accepting any criticism. <laughs> and like these kids, I shouldn't say kids, these young people are so funny and industrious and kind of represent everything that inspired me to write the show. Mm. So now it's amazing. Like yesterday I went into rehearsals for the Opera House season and it's the first time I've been in rehearsals. It's the first week of week three. So they've been working for two weeks without me. And it was so surreal to see this like tightly oiled machine. Everyone knew where they were going. There's like tubs and tubs and tubs of props and like matching silver boots for everyone. And it's very difficult to like emotionally comprehend that this started as a word document on my laptop like it's yeah yeah it's just really special
0: a lot of the inspiration for the show has come from one direction fans harry styles has famously said that young women's taste is often ridiculed by cultural commentators but who's to say that their taste is less valid than a 30 year old hipster guy why do you think people are so quick to judge stories about young women but are open to consuming content from a man's perspective?
1: kind of feels like what's that word it starts with p and ends with patriarchy is that the word i think it i think i've heard of it have you heard of that word i feel like it's that word i that's the question it's so interesting isn't it there was that movie turning red that came out and i don't know if you heard about this but there was like some middle aged male reviewers who wrote about how this Disney film that had been made about a 13 year old girl was frustratingly unrelatable and like there was just a lot of rightful clapback about like hmm pretty sure everything else is made for you yeah, and like why can't you extend your empathy but it's you know what's been interesting is like with fangirls I maybe had a bit of fear about that if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting as well in the years I've had of, the years experience I've had of telling people about this show I'll be dinner party and I'll describe it to them and sometimes before I kind of get to the punchline uh, like uh, it's just interesting to observe the interesting like comments that people will say like oh yeah but it's different for girls because like there's something sexual about when they're like these pop stars and you know when when guys like sport it's not like that and there's and then that becomes interesting to me because I feel like we socially sanction like um, the sexual desires of young men in a completely different way than than young girls. Like, I think about this story someone told me where she, her brother in his room, and I think this is, like, in the 90s, had a whole bunch of posters of, like, women in bikinis or less on his walls. And in her room, she put up a poster of Robbie Williams from Take That, and he had, like, some overalls on but no shirt underneath. Rescue, risky. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, her dad came in and took the poster down and said, this is completely inappropriate, and she was older than her brother. And I just remember that story, and, and I just think, yeah, like, that is the question. Why do we... Socially sanctioned, completely different behaviours for young men and women. And, like, another thing the show really goes into, it's a show, like, about fangirls, but it's also just a show about what it's like to grow up in the world when you're being, like, socialised as a young woman. And something I kind of have never gotten over, I'm so obsessed with, is... I don't know if you can relate to this, but I feel like when I became a teenage girl, it felt like overnight the world just started yelling at me with like this list of things that I needed to change or modify or upkeep. Like, fix all of this. Fix it. Yeah. Those eyebrows. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Those you need pants, exa- they're wrong. The pants are wrong. Yep. You need a co- th- That is not the correct lip gloss. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you need to smell like pink. Get impulse spray now. Like just, I feel it was so interesting. The world yelled at me to consume and modify and that nothing was enough. And also that, like, hotness was my superpower. Yeah. But figuring out how to, like, hack the code of hotness was this impossible algorithm. And the show was kind of about that too. And it was really interesting to see, you know, in the original season when I was in it, how many, like, dads and granddads would come up to me after the show crying and, like, oh. give me a hug and and be like, and I'll never forget this guy who I'm guessing was in his 70s, 80s, and he came up to, up to me after the show and gave me a big hug and he's like, oh, I was that girl. <gasps> oh, I was that girl. And I'm just like... <laughs> so much and there was like this dad that came up to me and he was like wow I really see my daughter differently and so it's been exciting to see how it's really captured the hearts of like different generations has been really beautiful. Mm. Um,
0: what are some of the lessons that you've learned that um, Fangirls or this process has taught you that you'll take into your next project?
1: I think about the early days of this project and how scared I was that people wouldn't get it and like a big driver for me is that when I was a teenager, I fell in love with musical theatre. But like, you know, if you ask anyone their favourite musicals, I'll guarantee you like all the biggest ones were made by an all male team. I think back to 23 year old me who started this what I want to be careful of is now not forgetting that like the reason that this show became what it was is that we wanted to be feral and weird and different and we didn't want to tick any boxes and so yeah like don't if you're a theatre maker listening to this don't try and make something that's like something else you've seen. Make your own weird thing that like maybe no one will get.
0: Yeah and I think Going back to what you were saying about a typical theatre audience as well, maybe that's the audience because that's who has historically been on stage. But if you make a show that's telling stories about other people, you know, that's people are going to come point. and see themselves on stage. and Yeah, relay.
1: I completely, completely agree with that. Mm. You've got a
0: show at the Opera House. What the hell? What the hell? Did you ever think that would happen? No. <laughs> How are you feeling about that? So excited.
1: <laughs> no, I'm really, I'm really excited. Like I grew up in Sydney, mm-hmm. so this is wild. Okay? Yeah, the Opera House That's is from fancy keychains at tourist shops. <laughs> I guess I budgeted emotionally for some stress around this time because, you know, I guess I would have imagined three months ago that like, oh, well, I'll go into rehearsals and I'll see them and there'll be like this little thought in my head of like, oh, what if, I hope they're good enough for opening, like, oh, I hope they get it right. But then it was crazy because I went into rehearsals yesterday and like... Oh, my God. Okay, I want to do something with my hands, so I'm going to do some audio description. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I my hand's, like, at my hip, that's where I thought the performers would be when I came in, and then if I put my hand at, like, my chest, that's where I hope they'd get to at opening night, and then when I went into the room, my hand's, like, as high as I can reach it, that's where they were, like, this cast, and I'm not just saying this as, like, ad copy or because I'm on a podcast, but genuinely... <laughs> I actually cannot believe what they're doing. And, and, you know, we had to cast a lot of them over Zoom and stuff because of COVID. So we didn't get to have them in the room and, like, check chemistry. But they're just, like, it's another level. And our original cast, we never knew how we'd replace them. They were so incredible. And, of course, are all unavailable because they've booked, like, Netflix shows. I think I'm just going to sit there and just, like, beam and cry. They're just so, so good.
0: Hell yeah. Proud stage mom. Yeah, I'm
1: a stage mum. <laughs> Love
0: that. So did you ever imagine that your work would be performed at the Opera House?
1: Oh, my God. Well, I dreamed about it. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> when I was a teenager... I was such a theatre geek. Like, I just loved it. You know, like, teenagers don't have disposable income, so I would write to Belvoir and STC, Sydney Theatre Company. What would you write to them? Well, I'd just write to them, like, can I have some tickets, please? Um, I love how bold that is. Well, yeah, like, so, so the way that I did it at Belvoir is I became friends with the front of house manager, And then would email him and he'd sneak me into shows, which was amazing. And then STC, the education department, did like this youth advisory panel of like teenagers who can come in and like advise the company on how to make it more teenager friendly. And then the Opera House did that the year after I finished high school. So it would have been like 18 And I sent them like a desperate email being like, please, I must do this. (laughs) So I spent this year getting to have these free tickets to the Opera House in exchange for telling them how to make the space more welcoming to teenagers and a space where teenagers could feel like they were at home. And it was my total Emma. So it's so surreal to think that I spent that year walking into this building again and again and being like, one day I hope I can have a show here. And specifically, though, talking to them endlessly about, like, how do we make this space a place where teenagers feel like it's theirs? And now, quite literally ten years later, to be there doing this is quite spooky-looky.
0: Totally. Like, the seed was
1: planted all those years ago.
0: I feel like uh, musical theatre can kind of you know, get a bit of a reputation for being cheesy for people who aren't necessarily, who don't, you know, they don't call themselves musical fans. I do think there's a bit of a barrier there, but it's changing a bit. There's new works coming out aimed at younger people. There's more women or non-binary or gender diverse people working as well. And this show has obviously won a stack of awards and has become part of the zeitgeist. But what do you think brought about that
1: change? I think that a lot of the perception around musical theatre being cheesy is that it's like super earnest, right? Or maybe also that, yeah, the roles are kind of narrow and I just think there are so many musicals about like some woman who wants to get married or, you know, like women written by men singing about like, even though he's terrible to me, I love him no matter what. Um, (laughs) And I wonder if it's like the girls, the gays and the days got obsessed with musicals because we love to feel things and then all grew up and went I'll have a go. And I wonder if I wonder if that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely I think able to broaden the appeal of musicals as well having different stories. Do you agree or Oh yeah, totally. And like I've got a really smart friend, Adam Lenson, who actually wrote a whole book called Breaking into Song: Why You Shouldn't Hate Musicals. It's <laughs> such a bop. But he said this thing that made my jaw fall off my body. He was like, "Musical theater is it's a medium but we treat it like a genre and he's like you can have infinite forms of music infinite styles of music and infinite like styles of theater so why can't you have like infinite iterations of musical theater He says, we always talk about how in musicals, people burst into song when words are not enough. And he's like, that's such um, an unhelpful, like incomplete idea. Because what if you need to burst into a song when words would be too much or when like words would be wrong? Or what if you need to burst into song because you're like gluing together two people who are singing across a 50-year gap, like, there's just so many different ways you can use music. A key inspiration for me has been the way that, like, teenage girls speak in Australia and the way they go up at the end of every sentence has been, like, really interesting to me and, like, putting that into the melodies in the show. Also, just, like, the the lexicon so I was impressed with how fangirls talk about how they're like actually dead about something happening and they're literally dead like literally plan my funeral I can I cannot breathe anymore I'm ceasing to exist yeah, And I am deceased exactly there's <laughs> an entire song in the show called actually dead which is just like kind of this wonderful collage of of amazing things I saw on Twitter like that
0: yeah that's amazing you've spent so many years working on this show the better part of your 20s What is next for you? Have you had any recent chance meetings that have kind of inspired a new idea like the one? When You were 21.
1: Well, how do I answer this question? Um, I'm really lucky that, uh, you know, so Fangirls, it looks like it's going to have an international life. <gasps> fingers crossed. I know. I just, I am literally just got back from overseas working on an overseas version of it. So we cross, cross our fingers and toes and bumhole that that happens. I'm actually dead hearing that news. Ooh, okay, me too. <laughs> oh, please, please, can it happen? But, you know, with theatre, you never know, especially yeah. in the midst of a Panasonic. So, um, truly. truly. So, fingers crossed that happens happens and um, I'm really excited. So Paige, the director and I are developing a screen adaptation. So also fingers crossed that happens. That'd be so cool. Yes, yes. No, fangirls, fangirls a series, please. But then separately I'm I'm really lucky. Like I've got a bunch of screenwriting gigs and a few new, very, very new ideas that I'm I'm playing with. But I mean look, like I started writing fangirls seven years ago. So these things take a lot of time. So
0: we're all about highlighting upcoming talent on this podcast. What do you think is up next for musical theatre in Australia as a genre? We kind of touched
1: on it before of the she's, the gay's, the they's being like, I'll have a crack. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was born ready for this question. I'm going to give you a roll call of just some of the new Australian musical theatre writers I'm obsessed with. Please. Um, people often talk to me and they're like, wow, isn't it? wild?" Wow, there's no young women out there making musical theatre. And I'm like, excuse me, shut your mouth. These are the people I'm obsessed with. Everyone look up Vidya Macon. She's an extraordinary writer. She's currently in Six the Musical because she's also, what, an amazing actress. But look up a song she's written called Hugh Jackman on YouTube. It'll make you laugh and cry. Jules Okulo is doing an incredible musical called Fraser Babies. Look it up, it's extraordinary. Cassie Hamilton is amazing. Jillian Cosgriff I think is one of the country's best songwriters and no one's heard her stuff yet, but it's going to change the game. Jean Tong and Lou Wall, extraordinary. They have a musical they've written together called Flat Earth is the musical someone program it, you cowards. Um, Geordie <laughs> Shea and Victoria falconer Pritchard are developing this amazing musical called Lola that's like about this Filipino grandma and her granddaughter and listen hijinks into its incredible... I want to shout out Samantha Andrew, Mel O'Brien, who is in Fangirls, but also an extraordinary songwriter. It's illegal that she's good at both of those things. Oh my God, there are so many more. I'm going to absolutely kick myself for forgetting, but there's just so, so, so many great writers out there. Max McKenna is extraordinary there in Jagged Little Pill. I saw Jagged Little Pill last week and was Ooh. blown away in You Ought Okay, everyone knows that they're, like, this (laughs) massive star of musicals, but, like, is everyone aware that they also write absolute bops and bangers? Incredible. Also, Laura Murphy has written The Lovers, which is about to come out of Belle Shakespeare, and I'm truly shaking to see it. I'm so, so excited. Hannah Mae Riley made an incredible musical called The Deb with Meg Washington earlier this year, which was wall wall Bangers. And another one of your idols. Yes, oh, (laughs) who also saw Fangirls. Oh, my God. I literally know. Missy and Megan? I know, I've absolutely (laughs) passed away. We just need Regina now. Come through. Anyway, um, yes, if you are someone in this industry with power and you are looking for new incredible musical theatre writers, I have a whole list. DM me.
0: You can DM Eve Blake
1: at Y-V-E-B-L-A-K-E.
0: In the next episode, we'll be hearing from Marty Mohammadi, co-deviser and actor in Dori Dari, a poetic crash course in the language of love. Our pronouns in Persian language doesn't have any gender differences. So your lover could be a he or she or whatever form of gorgeousness you desire. I'm Corny Amenhauser, and this has been Up Next, a podcast from Sydney Opera House. From AudioCraft, the show is produced by Bernadette Fung nam Wien, mixed by Glenn Morrow, and executive producer is Selena Shannon. For Sydney Opera House, head of digital programming is Stuart Buchanan, and digital programming coordinator is Christy Yip. The Up Next theme music is by Milan Ring. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.